Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. Welcome to Nonprofit Everything, the podcast where hosts Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding answer your questions about all things nonprofit. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. We have a special guest with us today, guest expert Andre Wade. And Andre is the state director for Silver State Equality. We are so excited to have you join us today, Andre. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, we we are going to pick your brain and then some, and we allow we appreciate you allowing us to do that. So I'm going to dive right in. Um, actually, first, is there anything you would like to do to share a little bit more with us about Silver State Equality and um, your role and your work? Yeah, happy to. Uh, Silver State Equality is a statewide LGBTQ plus civil rights organization here in Nevada. Our mission is to bring the voices of LGBTQ plus people and our allies to the institutions of power to create a world that is healthy, just, and fully equal. And we do that by passing poor quality legislation here in Nevada and DC. We have a national policy director in DC. Um, we work to get poor quality candidates elected to office. And we have a area where we work on public education and advocacy. So we have a political arm and a charitable arm. And we've been around for about three and a half years here in Nevada, and we are a program of Equality California. So um, our board of advisors is about 13 of them um, are all Nevada based. All the work we do is in Nevada. All the money we raise is in Nevada. And so I just oversee everything. Um, so our legislative work, our political work, our programs, and we are growing. Uh, we have to the three staff members now, and we are soon to be hiring two more, uh, including uh, a civic engagement manager up north, which is really exciting for us. Wow. I love to hear the growth, especially with uh, a social justice organization. So that's really exciting. Um, and thank you for, I know you are a busy guy and you wear a lot of hats. So appreciate you being here today with us. Stacey, all you have to do is ask me for anything. And then I'm like, yes, I'll be there. So there you go. <laughs> Is that, a, is that a good sport or what? <laughs> well, good. All right. Well, we'll get started. I know this is a really deep dive topic and uh, probably is something we could talk about for hours. And we, we don't have hours. We certainly, though, have a chunk of, of time with you. And here is the question we got. We have been engaging in DEI work for the past couple of years. Recently, I had two team members of color come to me to share examples of microaggressions towards them. One of those accused is a director with high EQ. Basically, the last person I thought that would ever be accused of something like this. I am curious as to how you would handle this situation. I'd also love to know any success stories you've heard from other nonprofits on this DEI journey and specific things they have done to shift to a more equitable and inclusive culture. It's a journey full of emotion and sensitivity that often feels overwhelming. Where do we start to unpack that one, Andre? <laughs> yes, I was going to say that's a lot to unpack, but it's uh, really good questions and happy to make an attempt over here. Great. Well, so maybe we can tackle the first part, right, about how you would handle this specific 
situation, right? So there's there's two team members of color that is, have shared with obviously their boss examples of microaggressions toward them. One of those being from someone else in the organization they thought would never do something like that, who's you know got that high level of emotional intelligence. So, so what advice would you give to to the boss that's in this situation being you know being told that there's been some microaggressions? Sure. So there is no one way only to approach these sorts of incidents. Um, it really depends on the dynamic of the relationships of the people involved and the comfort level. And so if there is an opportunity for someone to either in that moment address the microaggression or circle back at a later time, to address the microaggression. I think that's always uh, one of the best ways to do it. If there isn't like a weird power dynamic where someone can take something out of context and use that against uh, someone, like the person in power can use that against the other person. And so I think what we have to also keep in mind with microaggressions, even though the word micro is in there, it doesn't mean that it's um, small, the impact, um, and not everyone can see or feel the microaggression. I think that's where the micro comes in at. And so someone can, even with a high um, intelligence, uh, emotional IQ, um, find themselves being the um, projector of a microaggression. So it doesn't really matter the person's title or uh, who they are just in general, we can all um, be uh, the deliverer of a microaggression. And so we have to set some of those things aside when we want to approach uh, these microaggressions uh, directly or indirectly in that moment or circling back to someone. So can we start maybe for our listeners who may not really understand what, what a microaggression is, um, what it can look like or sound like? Sure. Um, microaggression is something that is said or done that's subtle. Um, it can sometimes be unintentional. Um, it's when it's during an interaction or some sort of behavior that can seem like it's filled with bias or um, a little bit of hatred, a little bit of misogyny homophobia, those sorts of things. And an example might be, uh, which I get this one a lot, uh, that I speak very well. And it's like, well, I um, graduated from high school, I have a bachelor's, I have a master's, I'm a working professional. I hope I speak well, but are we saying I speak well because I am black and you think black people don't speak well? And so it might come across as a compliment to the person who said it, but to me, it's like, so like that felt like and probably was a microaggression. And so the person who said it may not even realize what they've done. And so it's up to me to decide, is this someone I really want to have that conversation with? Is it worth it? I have to go through the whole list to determine whether or not I'm going to say anything. Um, and that's kind of where it becomes this thing where it's hard to address because was it intentional? Was it not? Is the person even aware? And I'm not even going to have a conversation with that person to, for them to not do it again to me or someone else. And so it's really 
a lot in that word microaggression and how it plays out. I'm wondering if you have, I mean, uh, it feels like the obvious thing is right to think before we speak. I, I don't know. I think some people are using microaggressions and to your point, maybe unintentionally, I don't even realize things that that, that to them aren't even an insult. So do you have advice to people saying, how do I make sure I don't offend people around me or, you know, engage in, in this kind of behavior that, that is triggering other people? I think that's even another complicated, complicated question because if, Something is said or done and someone doesn't know that it's a thing. If so if I say it to you, Stacy, and if I'm comfortable with you and you're comfortable with me, then you can address it. And then we can talk about it. So it's a known thing. But if for some reason you didn't know me or you felt uncomfortable with me, then you would just not say anything because there's that comfort level for whatever reason. And so it never gets addressed. And so one way we could try to do it in this um, sort of indirect way is create relationships and spaces to be able to have the conversations if something comes up. So there's this um, psychological safety between teams and individuals um, on the job. And so in that way, when things come up, people can bring it up. And when it's brought up, hopefully it's not taken as, oh, this is going to be, be a big HR deal instead of, well, I just want to address this in the moment because this is a learning opportunity for us. And so dynamics and relationships play a lot into it and one's ability to bring it up and address it. And even for that person to actually hear it and um, take it into account for some other time. I really appreciate that, especially given, as you mentioned earlier, power dynamics. And we see some of that depending on the hierarchy of an organization. I know I work with a lot of nonprofit boards that are struggling with this and don't realize <laughs> that in some cases uh, don't realize that they're uh, th that they may be insulting someone. And even to the point of saying something like, well, people need to just suck it up and grow a backbone. I'm not meaning anything by that, right? Like there's this sort of almost defensive posture that can come with it. Um, of, you know, can I not say anything anymore? And like, how would you respond to somebody like that? In, in that worst case scenario, how in the heck do you respond to that type of remark, which sadly is all too common? Yeah, it happens, yeah, a lot. And so that's what we want to take the moment to let people know that you maybe didn't intend to have the impact that it had by you saying or doing something, but this is how people took it. And just know that, just know that what you said or did has this impact. Do with it, with, do with it what you will, but just know that. And so if people get very defensive, then that in and of itself becomes telling of that person. And then folks around them have to then decide how they're going to interact or address that person. Because if someone has a blocker up and they're throwing all their defenses out, 
then it's really going to be hard to have a conversation with them and get anything to sort of come to an understanding or an agreement. And so it's one of those things where you're in and we have to decide, like, is this a hill to die for? Is this something we can move forward with this person? And often we kind of already know that this person is this way in other aspects of the job or, or life. And so um, we have to take all these things into account to know, like, how we're going to address it. And it, and sometimes when we have these incidences and people aren't really getting it, they're probably not the only one who's not getting it or being defensive. And so you could take this as an op opportunity to have larger conversations with the entire organization or board or however, so someone doesn't feel singled out, but they're still going to be getting in the information. Maybe it's a, a training or a new policy or a new training to go with the policy, however it might play out. Yeah, those are great points. So I'm wondering if there's a way, and, and this is, I'm putting you on the spot with this, so tell me to back off if this is too, I'm wondering if there's a way for us to model or for you to model um, sort of the response, both from a boss in this situation. So the boss, what the boss's conversation is with the people who were accused of the microaggressions. So, so what is that conversation? I think people need even the tools to know what, what would a conversation, and let's just assume the boss wants to address this. Obviously, they wrote us the question, right? So they they are trying to figure out, they may have already handled it by now, but but what it, with people in these situations, if they have staff come to them and complain about a microaggression or feeling attacked or triggered in some way by what someone said, what what should be the bosses in in and let's assume a, a a safe space of of being able to be open and have a relationship where we can talk openly what what might that look like um both to the people the parties who come forward to say hey i've been you know there's been a microaggression against me as well as to the party being accused what what might that look like and should all those parties come together i'm sure there's it, it's hard to know because we're doing like a lot of what ifs. We don't know the situation. We don't know the environment. I just am wondering for our listeners, if you can kind of provide maybe an example of language that could be used with both parties in that situation. Sure. If I am the boss and I am being told uh, or informed that um, there was some sort of a microaggression that I said or did to someone then if I'm going to be open, then it's listening to what's been said, um, apologizing, um, letting someone know that wasn't my uh, intention. And I get that sometimes people are in this space where they're like, it doesn't matter whether or not that was your intention, it still happened. But still, apologize, that wasn't the intent. Um, but then thank someone for letting them know that, the, that, you, that they brought it to your attention. Um, and that you hope to not have that happening again. But if it does, please feel free to let me know because I'm still learning and I don't want to hurt or offend someone. So like, that's a great way to sort of acknowledge what the person's felt, give you a sense of what you were thinking about, um, commend them on taking that, that step to be brave enough to uh, inform you. And keep the lines of communication open. I think that for me um, sets the tone for moving forward. And so if I'm the staff person uh, approaching uh, a boss, then it would either be, you know, whether or not it's in the moment or circling back, hopefully circling back sooner rather than later, 
uh, to let them know that um, you have a concern and you just want to bring it to their attention and that um, you let them know what happened and how you took it and try to have the conversation from there, but then thank the, the boss for listening and um, acknowledging uh, the concern and hopefully moving on from there um, with lines of communication still open. Okay. I mean, it, it feels like basic common sense, but I think sometimes in this, in this space, people overthink it or sometimes overcomplicate it and sometimes um, make it, uh, it, it, they, maybe we need to go back to just humanity, right? Some common humanity of, of, of that, that adage of listening <laughs> and reflecting and, and taking to heart. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I think some people overcorrect in these situations. I don't know if there is such a thing as overcorrecting. I I'd be curious to know your thoughts, but overcorrect to a lens of, now this is a big issue and it's brought up at a staff meeting to say, oh, I made this big mistake and I want to share this with everybody else and we all need to be aware of this. And then, I don't know, does it make the person who came forward with the with the issue a little uncomfortable, right? I, I would I would think so, yeah. But I, I think where we all have to, I think, get an understanding of is we still live in very segregated uh, worlds. We live in segregated lives. And in that, the most diversity that we get may come when we are going to school or when we're on the job. Otherwise, we just retreat back into our respective communities where there's probably not that much diversity. And so for a lot of people, they may not have had that much experience interacting with someone who's Black or Asian or Indigenous or who's from the LGBTQ plus community or however. And so what they may have heard or learned might be from family, friends, and television, uh, which may not be that great. And so when they get on the job, they run into these complications and don't really know how to address it. And so, but it's all the same for someone who might be the, the quote unquote victim of uh, a microaggression or some of these things where they may not be in a space where they may not be interact interacting with someone that is, um, let's say, white or Caucasian that often. So anything that's said or done to them may seem like something that it may or may not be because they're not necessarily in, interested in those interactions. Probably less so for someone who's a minority because we tend to be more interacting, more interactive with folks who are white. But these are the sort of things that are playing out and they play out on the job. And if we don't have the, the training, the policies, the procedures, the grievance policies, a lot of nonprofits don't have HR departments to address these things, then it becomes a larger issue over time, which we try not to, to have happen. But I say that because it's sort of just systemic and the workplace is uh, a nice place to address these things, but it can also be complicated because people are thinking about whether or not they're going to lose their, their job as well. Yeah. In your work, Andre, in your work with other organizations, and I know you've had the chance in a lot of areas, particularly um, the LGBTQ plus community, are, are there are there success stories or ones that maybe started out a little bumpy and they've moved 
forward in a, in a transformative way that you've seen or that you can share with our listeners to, to give people a little bit of hope or ray of light at the end of this, this long journey or an ongoing journey? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Um, I do, I won't give the name of the organization just um, because, um, but I did work with an organization where they knew that they were providing services for a diverse community, but for the most part, all their program services messaging was white, female, English, speaking centered, but they knew that they were serving a lot of folks who were from diverse backgrounds. And they went through an assessment with the organization staff and board to go undergo um, class, I'm gonna forget what it stands for, Cultural Linguistic Appropriate Services. Um, it's something that's uh, on the uh, Department of Health and Human Services um, Minority Health and Equity website, and they have all these different benchmarks. And again, it could be geared towards board staff and the organization as a whole. And they went through this assessment to find out where some gaps, challenges, opportunities were to make sure that the programs and services um, were more inclusive, again, culturally and linguistically. And what I was able to do after we went through the assessment and some training with uh, the board and staff was to see through email uh, some of the changes that they were that they made to specifically target their outreach to some of these communities that they hadn't done um, before. And then you would see them having listening sessions to hear from the community about what they needed to do better. And so that go from recommending that to then months later seeing them implement it was really great to, to see. And it's just, a, I think, a case where it went from knowing what the problem was, finding money to address it, addressing it, and then following up. Because often nonprofits or really businesses anyway, um, um, excuse me, businesses in general, may know that there's an, an issue, they may address it that one time and never really follow through for the long haul because it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so an organization needs to be in it for the, the long game, the long haul, the marathon. And this particular organization, I saw doing that, which was uh, refreshing. And so that would be an example of um, a success story, if you will, um, at least from the outside, um, how it all played out. I love I love that story and that that is a bright spot because we don't always get to hear those and celebrate those and I think those are important too. Uh so so I guess I would ask you because again I know we could talk for so long and we we scratched the surface on a lot of this. Uh I guess what I'm thinking about is going back to the original question and at the end of it the person, you know, mentioned this is a journey full of emotion and sensitivity that often feels overwhelming. So for our listeners who may be feeling overwhelmed, maybe uh, you know not, not they don't have the financial resources to engage an expert um, that is out there, or uh, you know what, how, where do they start? What how do we make this less overwhelming for them? Do you have any advice as we wrap up with that? 
Um, I do. I do. You know, depending on resources, as you alluded to, uh, you can go in many different directions. And so if you don't have resources, but you have the will to be able to try to make some changes, it's it's reading. It's um, watching films and documentaries, talking to people in your circle that maybe friends or colleagues and just having conversations with folks to be able to get information about what the experiences are of people that don't look like you. And if you are someone who's that lone champion in the organization, then you want to find someone else to be a champion with you who then can also hopefully find someone else to be a champion because it's really hard to take on work like this um, if you're an individual, they're just the one person doing it. So we have to try to find folks to do this work uh, with us. But there are a, a ton of information on the internet about not only things to read, but assessment tools and, and videos to watch to get an organization up to speed. But also just keeping in mind that it's something that should be done ongoing. It should be woven into the maybe not necessarily the mission of an organization, but the, the bylaws and the policies and procedures and the trainings and the programs and services to where it's a through line with this ongoing. And so there has to be a chance at some point for, like training may not be, it's never a silver bullet, but we have to give folks some sort of opportunity to be exposed to, to information, but you also need like your policies and procedures to back up what the training is uh, talking about. And I can't stress enough um, having a grievance process in place and known um, for this other organization I spoke about before. Like some people kind of knew about the grievance policy. They kind of had it, but they didn't really know it wasn't communicated uh, widely. And so what I shared with this organization was we often have our own policies and procedures in place that are part of the culture of the organization, but they aren't written down. So we have to take all this information and actually write it down and document it. And so when the next folks come on and they'll know that this organization is committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion because it's outlined in all these documents that you go over when you're onboarding someone or when you're developing programs. And when there's a complication, you, you can point to something to say, okay, this is how we're going to respond because it goes against our policy. So it's this excavating of your forms and documents to make sure that they're all in alignment with this vision that you have from a DIR perspective. But again, it's something that hopefully you can get most of the folks in the organization on board with doing, and it's not just this uh, one person uh, doing it, or even just like one department doing it, that becomes part of the entire organization. I love that. It really becomes it, part of the culture. And it sounds like there needs to be some basis in the why we're doing this and an understanding and sort and some buy-in to the why or else it all at the end of the day <laughs> is just an exercise in futility checking boxes that if we don't like live and breathe that why this is important 
and 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 have those discussions, it really makes it tough, doesn't it? To to even see, you can change all the policies in the world, and it doesn't change the behavior. Yeah, this is some of this information is very new to people, and they maybe have been resistant to it. Like I teach a. Um, and UNLV's continuing education department, I teach a course called Fostering a Diverse and Inclusive Workplace, and six hours. And you get folks from different industries, ages, genders, et cetera, in the, the class. And often around the fifth hour or so, as you're sort of wrapping things up, people are still kind of like not getting it. Um, but know that maybe their staff are encouraging change. That's why they're there to, to learn. And sometimes out of this entire course, they might pick up this one little thing that they're going to change and maybe some sort of statement on the job description. That's, that's, only, that's their only takeaway. That's the only thing that they can wrap wow. their minds around. Wow. But it's, it's something that they can comprehend because all the other stuff is kind of just like, it's nebulous. They don't understand why they need to care or should care, why it's even an issue. And so it's going to take for some people getting information and hearing it over and over in multiple ways before they can even act to it. Because again, it's probably new to them and they're resistant for whatever reason. But um, sometimes there's a little light and glimmer of, of hope that people have some takeaways um like in a course like that i really appreciate what you're saying because that goes back to the overwhelm right sometimes it's one little baby step one little baby step forward one one change one nugget forward and then you just keep building on that and then over time perhaps that larger why i'm probably very idealistic thinking oh we start with the why but i just <laughs> you know <laughs> it's it's uh I, it's my Pollyanna. I'm being a little Pollyanna here, but but I hear you, right? <laughs> and I hear that it's just start. I guess that's what I'm also hearing from you. Just start, right? Just start and take one step, whatever that step is, and then keep building on it and, and realize you're going to be building on this, you know, for the, this is just part of who you are, your organization is, and the rest of your, I think that overwhelms people. They like to check it off their list and say, I'm done. And this is not something we're done with. Exactly. Exactly. We're, we're never done with it. We're always just enhancing and tweaking and trying new things to reach those goals. Well, I am. Um, I always learn so much from you. I know our listeners, I'm sure, feel the same. And I just can't thank you enough for being being on the podcast, sharing your wisdom with us. We will make sure to provide links to uh, Silver State Equality and anything else you want to share uh, with our listeners. Perhaps we'll link to your class for those who want to go to the UNLV class. Is it is it virtual, Andre, or is it all in person? Uh, it's in person, at least for now, apparently, um, <laughs> with all the stuff happening in the world. Um, so usually uh, it's in the springtime. I don't know if I have a class this uh, fall, but it'll be on the, the course catalog for the continuing education department. Okay. Okay, great. Well, we will put any resources we can to help our listeners. And, uh, and thank you, my friend, for just being here with us today. My pleasure. Anytime. Well, almost anytime. <laughs> <laughs>
sucks. I still can't call you at midnight. All right. <laughs> All right. Until next time. <laughs>